Well, kia ora koutou and welcome back. And in this podcast, I am talking with Para May. Para is the founder and owner of Para May, a design and fashion brand based up in Auckland, but is really making waves worldwide at the moment. Um, in marketing, we talk a lot about the importance of communicating value or showing your value of your products to a wider audience. Uh, but Para takes a very different approach in that she focuses more heavily on incorporating her personal values and the things that matter to her into her products. So as opposed to finding out what other people might want and then trying to create a product that suits that, she's very much about, well, what's important to me? What do I value? And how can I make sure that is expressed through the products that I create? Um, we're also joined with Katie Mills, her chief brand officer. And we talk a little bit, not just about the products themselves and the purpose behind them, but also some of the curlier questions, especially in the fashion world, this idea of uh, fast fashion, this idea of privilege and all the other things that can really come to play. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, hopefully it sparks a bit of thought as to how you can incorporate your own values into your work and hopefully you learn something from this. So kia ora tātou, koe kumbi a tako ingoa, no mai haru mai As you know, my name is Eikhan and I am here with Para May. Para May is a what, designer, creative, innovator, uh, and I, I actually thought, oh, how am I going to introduce Para? I've been wanting to talk to her for ages, and this was like a great opportunity to do that. So I thought I'd read something from your website, and then I'll give you a chance to talk about yourself. But I think this summarizes the, the way you operate really well, and that Para May focuses on forging a future within the creative sector that educates, empowers, and inspires a new age of creative innovation and ethical consumption. Parame exists not only to create more things in the world, but to educate and advocate towards the future of a conscious, inclusive, and revitalized fashion industry. Our motivation is the creative and cultural revolution. Our medium is fashion. So I think that's a really beautiful way of kind of summarizing you're using fashion as a way of achieving what you want to do. Is that kind of right? Yeah. Okay. Every day is different. We take a different role every day. Each week or month, I'll come back to Katie or Robin and be like, you know what? I think we're going to pivot. We're going to do something else. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of everything, really. And that's, that's awesome. And I, I guess as we always like to start, it's just a little bit of time of fuck for Nongatonga, getting an idea of who you are as a person rather than just what you do in the mahi you do. So tell me a bit about your background, who you are, what kind of drew you to this journey of, of design and fashion in particular? Well, we actually just spent the weekend over in Greymouth, which is where I was born and grew up. And um, I was there till about my second year of high school. And then I moved over here to Christchurch. Um, and I went to boarding school here. And so I grew up in a really creative family and it was such a beautiful environment on the West Coast. I think, Katie, you've got a good representation of it this weekend. <laughs> um, and so my mom and my grandma both did creative things. And so I was always encouraged and kind of that creativity was harvested in me from day one. Um, so they had a gift store and I grew up with beautiful products and colors and textiles and textures. and I think that was always something that was normalized from mm. such a young age. So it wasn't so much that it was like go into the world and do something academic or really strive to be a lawyer or an accountant or something like that, which I did go down that route for a while, but thankfully steered the other way. You say thankfully, like it's a bad thing. It's fine if you want to be an Yeah, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. I feel attacked right now. You know, we go through, sometimes, <laughs> we go through those phases where, you know, it's like a young teenager, mm. you don't really know what you want to do and there's so much pressure to be or do these roles. And I think, I mean, still now, I'm just trying to figure out what to do sure. and what to channel. 
um, within that creative sector. But yeah, it was really harvested um, from a young age and I think it just developed um, when I went to high school and I think my final five subjects at high school were all arts. Amazing. So media and drama and cool. painting and design. So it, it's always just been a, a part of my identity and a mm. part of my focus. Um, and then it wasn't until the end of high school that someone said, I was really interested in styling, like garments for magazines, and someone said to me, why would you style other people's kind of creation when you can mm. make your own? I kind of thought, oh, I never really considered it. So I did my first year uh, in my second year here at Ada in Christchurch um, and loved it. So continued and then decided to transition to Dunedin Polytech um, just because it was more skills based here and then more design based there. So I got a good kind of bit of both um, and then moved straight up to Auckland at the end of my study and worked for a brand um, called Taylor. Katie also works with. <laughs> um, and I learned so much during that time. It was it was awesome. And then end of 2019, um, or the start of 2019, I got asked to go and show with a company called Oxford Fashion Studios in mm. London. And they showcase emerging talent around the world. Amazing. So it was the most incredible opportunity. And I kind of ummed and ahed for a while and really sat with that opportunity and thought you know is it really worth it um quite a big step going mm. from the end of study to working for six months for a brand and then offering this opportunity um, and i didn't know what would kind of come out of it but i just knew intuitively that it was something i had to just dive sure. into so went over to london and um, paris and vancouver also showed in vancouver at the end of 2019 um, and it was just mind-blowing. Mm. It was just the most incredible experience. And I just soaked up everything I possibly could over there. And then came back and COVID hit and thought, what the hell now? <laughs> so that kind of threw me into a head spin. And then we kind of played with the idea of concept stores and starting a brand and different visions, which we can get into later, unincorporated, which we did at the end of last year. Um, and then I just sat with the idea and kind of developed my first collection from the previous kind of showcase that we did in London. And showed that this time, well, December last year, mm. no, the year before, should I forget where the start of the year? The year <laughs> before, 2020 was our first year, yeah. And that was awesome. That took really well but it's been a long year of kind of developing this idea and kind of getting to a place where we're excited to see what's next next yeah and yeah. so you've got you've got your store in Parnell at the moment and yes. that's that's where you I guess you base yourself out of but you're a lot of online and a lot of distribution that way and showing up places yeah. we've kind of hinted at Katie Mills being here as well so we might as well <laughs> sorry, formally sorry, yes. no it's all right <laughs> we'll formally introduce Katie as well so Katie wears a a bunch of different hats in Otatahi and around the country and uh, through the University of Canterbury as well but in this capacity you are the CBO the Chief Brand Officer so tell <laughs> just a little bit about yourself Katie and what your role is but you'll be coming in and, in and out uh, of the corridor just as Pera talks yeah, I guess um, kia ora everyone listening. Um, kind of jealous, wish I was sitting in a lecture theatre. I still miss, like, love those days, <laughs> they're the best. Um, and yeah, I'm just basically here as Pera's right-hand woman, really. CBO is a bit of like a um, fluffy term for um, 
doing anything that the boss needs support with um because there's a lot that goes into i guess getting um Pirame the vision off the ground um i yeah i'm from christchurch and as i kind of kind of mentioned i've done quite a few um spent seven years at the university of canterbury uh studying and working and um on the student union so doing all sorts of bits and bobs but behind the scenes and and similar to sort of what Pera has alluded to there's always been um a creative aspect in my life um through study um i studied art history at university of canterbury and worked in art galleries and things so um fortunate to have a best mate who is brave enough to uh, pursue brave or crazy um to pursue this creative um profession uh, career and I can just like tag along. <laughs> all, <laughs> all the joy and none of the responsibility. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We have so much fun. Yeah. We have more fun than we do work. We were talking about that yesterday. It's, all, it's a good balance, maybe. And that's yeah. what you need. That's what you need. So I guess getting into it, I mean, this is a, a podcast that's focused on marketing, but it's it's marketing such a broad thing uh, and what people think of marketing can be really interesting and diverse as well but um, one of the big things I see as an outsider who knows very little about fashion and absolutely nothing about fashion to be honest is that everyone has an opinion they will say I like that or I don't like that and they might not have any expertise in this area uh, and you are building a business in this sort of marketplace which is so subjective sometimes and that an expert can come and say I don't like that and I have no reason other than I don't like it. Well, mm-hmm. consumers would say, I love it and I don't know why. How is that tension kind of dealt with as a creative person? How do you how do you try to cut through that? I think it's actually more simple than people realise. I think what you choose to wear is a representation of what's within you every day. You know, you get up and you put something on that you feel comfortable wearing. Um, yeah, before someone even has to speak, what they're wearing and how they present themselves says a lot about them than they probably realize i think for me i like to think i can work people out in the first kind of minute that i meet them just by how they present themselves um what they're wearing um, what colors what textures maybe it might say a bit about their identity where they've come from um i think it's it's pretty amazing really and I think it, people kind of bypass that in their everyday life. I did a study when I first um, in my second year of study about how people either get up in the morning and they put something on and it makes them feel a certain way mm-hmm. or how they choose to dress then no other way around two things I always get confused so how you choose what you choose in the morning impacts how you feel mm-hmm. or how you're feeling will help you to choose what you wear. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That was a weak mind play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I that always stuck with me because I think there's so much more that subconsciously people think about before, like when they're choosing what to wear. So I think in terms of how it impacts how I design or how we create or choose what we put into, mm-hmm. the, into the world is a lot of intuition based. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way I design is never I, I never look at a market or trends or color trends or whatever's going on in the world i think it tends to be what i intuitively am going through i think i know that i'm a really conceptual designer and we're talking about this a lot recently about how my inspiration my ideas come from um anything in my life or in the outer world that i see happening so i don't necessarily always design to people mm. but i think um 
recently I've realized that there's a bit of push and pull. So when I first started studying, I could choose to design whatever I wanted. It could be as avant-garde as possible. And now that I'm trying to learn, you know, how people, consumers purchase and um, how marketing works, for example. I didn't study marketing at all, but I know a shit ton about it now. Um, And, you know, there is trends where people um, will see for example, an influencer wearing something and then everybody wants what that influencer is wearing, you know, and that doesn't, that's something I've had to learn through this process because I've only ever gotten up every day and put on what I want to wear or I go out and find what speaks to me Mm. and and what patterns and garments I love and know I can keep forever in my wardrobe. Like I go out and find something magical and I'm obsessed with it, but other people need that help from other people to Mm -hmm. kind of see, oh, this is what works, this is what doesn't work, because it's not so intuitive for them. Absolutely. And for some people, I guess, it's not as as clear-cut as Mm. whatever it is. I mean, there are Mm -hmm. definitely occasions where I turn up in the morning and I go, oh, which Star Wars T-shirt am I going to wear today? This one smells less bad. (laughs) (laughs) And very little thought. More practical. practical. But it's it's something that, especially when you are so intuitive, you can see that in others. And it kind of... Mm -hmm reminded me of far out this is going back 20 years one of the first studies they ever did was understanding how people use jewelry to express themselves Mm. and the role that jewelry plays in expressing themselves and from a multicultural perspective of how the indian community uses jewelry to express Mm. themselves and their status versus a parkyard community Mm. versus whatever else might be and i saw that play out with my wife when we moved to the uk and she's from North Island and she would wear her tanga every single day even though in New Zealand she never would but that was an expression of her Kiwi identity mm-hmm. and she would wear that every single day and this very much what you're talking about speaks mm-hmm. to consumer insight understanding mm-hmm. people understanding them for you you probably know it you probably follow a bunch of theory but it's just not written down it just mm-hmm. comes to you and you're yeah. having to almost unpack that which is cool yeah, yeah. so just pulling up on that what you talked about you don't follow trends you don't follow within marketing we have this yeah reasonably uh, old concept now of there are people who are driven by the market and those people who drive the market yeah. and, and you see a lot of creative people especially these high-end fashion designers who try to drive trends and mm-hmm. and almost drive them and kill them this uh, mm-hmm. built-in obsolescence because if it only lasts a season, uh, if it lasts multiple seasons, sorry, then you can't sell the next season. While Perame is taking a very different approach, which is we're going to drive the market a bit, but we want this to be seasonless. Is that sort of, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think c- coming into this world, I think I saw a lot of problems before I even got into it. So sustainability was just something that was starting up when I was studying to come into the um the program so it was we were doing papers on sustainability and when i first started um this adventure it wasn't something i ever thought of sustainability within fashion my first year studying and then as i kind of grew and learned in that sector um more and more was coming um into into play with sustainability and fashion and and the world and i think i learned that it was one of the top five polluters in mm. the world is the fashion industry to yeah to global warming and um, and that just is just heartbreaking and not only that the ethics and everything mm-hmm. that come with it and everything that's wrong with this broken system and so i think two things i think um i've come into this world from more of like a fine arts background and and my my obsession with anything creative is it's so vast it's not just it didn't just start from i want to be a fashion designer Mm. it was like i love everything creative i want to do everything creative um and it channeled into fabrics and fashion and garments 
to start with and I think now I'm exploring different things that I mm. can play with awesome. um but I think no so we're not so I'm not driven by market I think to answer that directly I think I'm driven by again concepts and things that inspire me um but in saying that this year we've learned a lot about consumer behaviors and what the market requests and I think because this is the more commercial side of art you do kind of have to play to that and that's when we've brought in the pre-order systems and the custom-made systems because we're trying to break down that concept of fast fashion and we really don't want to produce more than we need Mm. Um, and like I said when I first started my concept of what I wanted to create was so different to what it is now Um, when I first started I thought I'm gonna have this beautiful brand and take it around the world and make all this beautiful clothing and sustainability wasn't really a question Mm. and as I've grown with it I've learned what really matters and so there's a bit of a market demand and a this is my purpose and my drive and it's about kind of finding that happy medium mm. which is why we're exploring those models of pre-order sure. and customer. It's being realistic I guess as well mm. and yeah. I think I even saw just this morning on your, your Insta story just like what do you what do you want to see in the future from the mm. customers was that your your fault Katie putting that up? <laughs> that okay. doing, doing a bit of market research yeah. you know, let's, let's hit that. but also from a digital marketing perspective it's a perfect way to build engagement It's mm. because if someone starts commenting other people will see it so talk, yeah. talk to me a bit more about that I guess then Katie what are you right yeah I mean I guess like just from this corridor like I've just been thinking about as well the concept of a trend and and what is a trend Mm. and I think in the fashion industry and the fashion sector that has been nailed down as like cuts colorways styles prints not prints Mm. um and I think what Pierre May is trying to do is actually take it out of that pure aesthetic and, and bring it into their artistic space and you said like mm. what the what if we dressed and the trend was dressing for how you feel or how you want to feel and all that sort of mm. stuff that you were sort of touching on and I think that's where we were trying to get towards with um that post and doing that sort of market engagement is a like we prioritize a lot through the brand I think just getting to know who our customer is as a person not necessarily mm. what our customer buys mm. um so I, my hope was with that sort of post is that it's not just about someone just says we want more read um, <laughs> they also said you know we want to see like more stories like who are the people behind it like who who are you more behind the scenes or um, more pushing us in in terms of what we do in the sustainability space so it's a bit broader than like cut colour yeah. really traditional trend in, in that fashion sense yeah, yeah. and and you you can then leverage those stories and mm. for the next level of creativity mm. but also mm. uh, when you start looking at how you're expressing your values through fashion mm. when someone comes back and said i felt really good wearing this top mm. or someone mm. complimented me and that changed mm. the way my outlook was for the day my mood changed the sort yeah. of thing that helps to inspire you as well i'm mm. sure it's like being given gold when you get a response from someone and know that you've changed their day or their life mm. or brought joy into their world through mm-hmm. creativity it's just like there's no better feeling mm-hmm. than knowing that you've helped empower mm-hmm. or yeah. inspire or I guess educate is yeah. one of the biggest things for us I've always said to Katie it's a win for us not it's not about making money it's not about selling a product it's about the, the mission and the moral behind it um and I think for for me personally a win has always been just to interact with someone and just to um, educate them on slow fashion or educate them on how to feel a million dollars in a garment and how you know 
like I say, it comes so naturally for us because we love expressing ourselves mm. through fashion, but that's not everyone. Um, and to help someone do that is, mm. is amazing. And my students know this and most people know this. I don't, I don't have a lot of time for Simon Sinek and his, his find your why because it's, he seems to use it for every situation in life. But I think it sounds like it's really coming through here. If you can express why you're doing this and people can express why they're wearing these clothes, then it builds a greater attachment and a greater level of, I don't know, not desire might be the wrong word, but mm. appreciation for this thing mm. and, and sense of, yeah, I, I like this. I can see how this fits into what I'm doing today or mm. see part mm. of my life, which is, which is cool mm. to see. But just kind of unpacking the fast fashion, slow fashion thing a bit more. Mm. Um, the, the example I use a lot with, with my students or various levels is, you go into Kmart and see a t-shirt for $5 and most people's reaction is, what a great price for a t-shirt. She can answer that. She's being right yeah. something <laughs> Not so much, oh my goodness, what horrific global supply chains mm. and slave labor has been, have been created oh, for us to, to, to be able to put something out on the shelves for $5, mm. you know? Um, and, and that comes down to the way that our, our, our market-based system has been created and you are actively seems to be railing against that. This is a mm. difficult, dangerous place to be playing in. But mm. uh, listening to you, if your values weren't part of your brand and who you are, then you wouldn't mm. be doing it anyway. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about why you're so passionate about that slow fashion or anti-fast fashion. And is it possible for a young person from Ototahi now working in Tamaki Makoto to actually cut through the noise in this space? Mm. Yeah, I think <laughs> you've got a lot to say about this too. But I think I just want to start with one experience. So. When I first started, and just like we're only a year in and we've got a lot to learn still, but just to, to kind of point out that we're so value driven and, mm. and the idea behind, I mean, if you talk to accountants or finances, they're going to say, um, you need to be selling to make money, but it's not about that for us. It's, it's what we're trying to create within this environment that means so much more. And I think if you're always driven by that kind of, northern star of you know this is my goal this is what i want to try and do i want to help people i want to empower people i want to um show them how they can be part of this change in this environment um that's the most important part so when i first started i worked with a, a guy called alan and he'd been in the industry for his whole life and he used to tell me every time i go around he'd spin yarns about how he started cutting he'd cut garments and digitize and grade which is um size and garments for his whole life and he started with a company um in Parnell in the center of auckland and they he said he used to cut about twenty thousand jeans a week and it, this was when everything was made in new zealand and this was like the height of when um I guess fast fashion was starting, but it's mm. still, nothing was made offshore. It was all mm. still in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and he's just closed his doors because he can't survive in New Zealand anymore. Mm. Um, and he's retired because he's had enough. He's had a guts full of it all. <laughs> but he had so many stories to tell me about how the time has changed. Everything's gone offshore. Mm. Everything's made overseas. Um, and they cut costs by doing that. And he was telling me all these different ways that, they can save money by taking production offshore and if they do thousands of garments, the cost goes down per amount that you make, you know? Um, and just everything becomes so much more accessible. And this need for new garments all the time, rather than, I don't know, I don't know how far we go back, but you know, you used to go back, probably in my grandparents' days, my grandma would make all her own garments, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And before that, you'd go to a tailor and you'd get one thing a month, for example, and you'd thrash it until it had holes in it. Like, what's happened in between that time to go from, oh, I need a new garment every week, or, oh, I can't be seen in this garment I, I, was, I wore it last week, you know? It's just, it's just con- consumerism. Mm. We can talk about that. Mm. You've got a lot to say about that. And just this concept of how society makes us feel as though we have to have new things all the time. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. And, and the craft has been lost in that time. Mm. Um, and this is heavily gendered as well. Uh, yeah. We know this. Uh, I mean, there was that little experiment from the, the, the morning talk show host uh, a couple of years back where he wore the exact same suit and tie for the whole year and his co-host had to change it. And after 365 days, he says, no one's commented on what I've worn. And I've worn the same thing every single day for the whole year. But you always bully my, my female yeah. colleague because mm. she's worn something twice. Mm. I mean, we could go even further into how this is a humanity crisis and yeah. I'd be happy to talk about that too. But it's just bringing reality back to people's forefronts, mm-hmm. I think is also something we're really striving mm. to do. Mm. Yeah. This is more than just fashion. <laughs> be honest. Do you want to talk yeah. about what you're doing? Well, I can't help but draw parallels to how we eat, like, and trends in terms of how we eat. Like, my parents talk about growing up um, in New Zealand and, like, chicken was such a treat. Like, mm. to get served a roast chicken at the time um, mm. was such a privilege. And then we've kind of come through into this, you know, mass production you know, battery farming, all of the nastiness mm. where chicken is suddenly and all the kinds of cuts of meat are suddenly at your fingertips and at a reasonably accessible price. Um, and now we've come full circle and the vegetarian veganism movement, um, particularly like in the West, um, has become really strong and like it's been a massive trend of how we eat over the last few few years in mm. particular, like in relation to animal rights but also in the environment and, and, and even health and just like it's cool and trendy um, and I think this is the same journey that fashion is tracking on right now mm. we went through as you said like the grandma um, who made her own clothes to mm. now suddenly explosion of fashion and it's at everyone's fingertips for a really cheap price to now it's a process of re-education and we've gone too far yeah. um, and we need to remind ourselves of the value of these things and mm. the impact that these things have um, and there's sort of two ways that you can go about that. Like we see a lot of, um, you know, news stories and media around like slave labor and, and sweatshops and factories and Nike. And that's been really um, slammed and, and we've been kind of saturated with those stories over the last like few years. Mm. And I think for Pierre May as a New Zealand manufacturer, our role in this education is, is talking about the value that the people that we have here mm. and that's something mm. we've been thinking about a lot lately we um pierre has got an amazing machinist and sampler in auckland called robin um mm. and you go through any fast fashion store and you see garments that are less than the price of what you pay robin an hour sure. um and that's the story that we have to tell based here in new zealand is like look at our people that we have here and look how much value they have um and skill they have and how much we want to like retain that skill in New Zealand because it is, as Pira said, we are losing manufacturing and, and that skill and talent here. Mm-hmm. But anywhere, mm. anywhere you go, you're going to mm. get that. Yeah. Like, I just don't, I can't comprehend how you can sell two garments for $35. Yeah. Mm. You know? Because, you know, that's the cost of Robin an yeah. hour, for example, here. Yeah. But, well, all machinists, all of my New Zealand um, outworkers, you can expect to pay, depending on the role, between... 
35 to $50 dollars an hour. And that's true craft. And these are skilled people that have worked in this industry for years. Mm. And I just can't even comprehend how you can sell a garment for that. Yep. <laughs> and But even just the way that you publicly, openly acknowledge your machinists, you tell mm. their story on your website. Mm. It's a very different approach mm. to fast fashion, but even some of the other slow fashion stores mm. in that the focus has to be on the designer, not on the mm. the, the creator or the producer, mm. I guess, or the, the operation side. Mm. But you like to say, here's my machinists. Here are the pattern makers. Here mm. are the people. Tell me more about why you humanize your, your organization so much, because it's fascinating to me as a, as a marketer when we try to dehumanize our, our products as much as possible. Fast fashion has a lot to hide. That's why yeah. they're not anything, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, but also, when you slow things down and you focus on the craft, you really can showcase you know, every part of it. Like Transparency is really important to me. It's mm. always been part of my value as a person, personally, but also um, creating a business. I think this when someone can see what's behind a product and see how many hands it's touched like you know your shirt's probably touched four to five hands and just today there's a lot of hands yeah it's incredible people don't look at it and go cool top for 35 dollars probably one person whipped that up in 10 minutes you know no it, so many people so yeah. many processes yeah. um and it's so important to bring attention back to the craft behind it. Mm. And also to note that um, beauty isn't made by one person, you know, it's made by a group of people. And mm. that's really important to me to show that my team is everything in mm. this process. Mm. And it's not, doesn't just come from one brain, mm. it comes from many brains. Sure. And it's so important to show people mm. what the truth is behind it. Mm. Sure. There's mm. not enough, there's too much, um, too much fluff there's too much bullshit in the world mm. you know like we need to be really true and honest about what matters and what's mm. important and i think hopefully we'll encourage others to do the same and not just in the fashion industry but any industry mm. show mm. how important it is to tell the truth and sure. to be honest because we're not robots no. mm. we're all humans and it's really important to humanize anything yeah, mm. yeah. so i'm going to ask a, a couple of difficult questions then and feel free to tell me to to stop or fuck off, and that's fine. <laughs> um, isn't this quite a privileged place that we're living in? Like, not mm. everyone can spend more than $35 on a top. Not mm. everyone can afford to spend the time to, to find that thing that makes them look beautiful. They just need the practical. Mm. Um, and then I'm reflecting on, you know, my fucker papa is Indian. You know, yeah. uh, uh, I have cousins who, who grind just to get a job in itself. Mm. low-paying job mm. and we know that the gdp of bangladesh takes a hit every time the fashion industry goes down because mm. so many people are employed mm. on terrible wages but they're employed if you know what i mean mm. um tell me more about that i mean are we are we just focusing on a small group of people who can who have the privilege to do this mm. or do you want to normalize this or how can we normalize this I think this is something that is an inner conflict for me every day and I say it to Katie all the time and it breaks my heart that I can't um, offer these garments to everyone and mm. I know that um, and we talk about it a lot and we have a, um, a section on our website called Musings and we, yes. yeah, that's so cool and <laughs> Katie actually writes most of those. So we we talk a lot, we do discussions like this all the time, we yeah. love DMs all the time and we kind of break down because it's learning for us we learn through investing in this mm. um, um education for mm. ourselves mm. and research for ourselves 
And so, I mean, you can take the floor on this one as well, but I think this is something that we, if we can't um, offer a product for everyone, we can offer education and we can offer a community Mm. and we can offer, um, I guess, a place for people to feel included through Mm. art, Mm. regardless of whether they can contribute by purchasing or not. Mm. And this has been something that's been really important from the get-go for me as well, is that I'm so blessed. We're so Mm. blessed Mm. to sit here and to be talking about this and to be Mm. in this position. And every day I'm so grateful to be able to do Mm. this. And so I think that'll be something that we'll always continue to try and Mm. work on as Mm. we go. But at the moment, what we can offer is education yeah. and that's what we're working towards at the moment. Mm. Yeah, There's a tremendous amount, I think, of nuance that is required in having this like, slow fashion, fast fashion mm. um, conversation for exactly the reasons that you've highlighted. Um, you know, it's, it, I think really at the end of the day, we have to, this journey is not like, it's not linear, it's not one thing for one person and it's very much like in terms of where where you're at in your own life um and so what I've kind of reflected on a lot is like is the slow fashion movement classist like is and there's that is a massive Mm. conversation that the slow fashion movement is is happening and there's a lot of people writing and reflecting on this because I think it has charged forward a bit too strongly on the death to fast fashion end it now burn Mm. it all down Mm. and as much as you know it's fast fashion is incredibly exploitative as you noted, Akan, it employs people who otherwise wouldn't have employment. Um, but in saying that, I don't think that we can accept or stop having this conversation because we have to continue to raise the quality or the standards that are expected for, for these people in Bangladesh and mm. India um, because we know that when um, sweatshops are closed down, they just move somewhere else. <laughs> Mexico becomes Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. Bangladesh becomes, it used to be China yeah, and then it's yeah. India and now it's Bangladesh. So um, we've got to keep the spotlight on these things but also recognising and we try to do this through our conversations if your if you're slow fashion um, contribution is to, instead of buying five glasses tops a year you buy one pyramid top that's great mm. um but if it's like i'm actually not going to buy that glasses top and i'm going to see if i can get one from the thrift store mm. that's something that we absolutely also promote mm. and want to support and educate for because um at the end of the day everything can be found in a thrift store yeah mm. <laughs> and it's about extending down, garment lives as much as it is like have, buying something new yeah Mm. it's just about considering the first tackle is Mm. the amount we consume Mm. more than anything Mm. you don't need all these things you don't need a huge wardrobe of everything you know you like you would buy art you buy a piece because you'll sit back look at it and go i love it so much or whatever you choose to buy in the world that you'll save up Mm. and spend money for and you think really hard about it we should be implying that with clothing as well Mm. fashion and clothing is is different from art in that yes it's creative Mm. yes it's expressive Mm. But it's intimate. It is. Mm. It is on you. You, mm. you know, I don't carry around art pieces with me, <laughs> but I do wear mm. my clothes, and so that that intimacy and that connection to self and that embodiment of art, I think, is is a huge part of what fashion is and mm. why why there are always going to be people, whether it's values based, whether it's price based, whether it's whatever else, mm. they're still going to want to wear something that makes them feel good or they look mm. good in, or they want mm. other people to recognise that they're there mm. as well. So, mm. yeah. Mm couple of final questions then that from my perspective but um there's there's always this argument that 
unless you burn down the horrific part of an industry, mm. you can never change it. You mm. have to destroy this part, and then you will. Mm. Be, then the industry will change. But it sounds like more what you're trying to do is rather than completely destroy fast fashion, provide an alternative to fast fashion that maybe is accessible or maybe is uh, attractive still. And almost normalize alternative mediums of fashion or alternative alternative ways of fashion. Or have I got that wrong? Do you want to burn down fast fashion completely? No, <laughs> it's not such a difficult. I mean, <laughs> well, answer is like, how can you answer this? Right I guess there's the ideology, uh, idealism versus realism. I think oh, there's something yeah. that, that, yeah. I think we recognise we are small fish in a big ocean. Um, even sure. um, you know, if you look at the New Zealand industry as a whole, um, there are you know a couple of like really well established designers mm. in New Zealand um, who are at least mostly or somewhat producing in New Zealand um, and even as a collective you know I think it was in 2019 um, they started an organization called Mindful Fashion mm, yep. um, so even as a collective and in that organization the industry recognizes that there's we're still in the global supply chain New Zealand is still a small fish to be able to influence like yep. fast fashion globally so the best For that sure. we can do is like kind of promote best practice here in New Zealand and, and foster. Yep. Um, and New Zealand's been pretty good at that in other industries. You know, we're role models, you know, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was all through the 70s and 80s, no one would mm. bring anything here because it was too mm. far away to do it. So we had yeah. to innovate it yourself. So it's yeah. a real opportunity. Yeah. That. I think we're on a ride, and I yeah. and I think we'll just see where it takes us. But I'm, I'm, I'm ready to stir the pot. You know? We're going to create some fireworks within um, whatever industry that takes us through. But um, yeah, Creative. we love a challenge. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, just listening to you, even just the the corridor around, you know, going to a thrift shop and getting something else. I mean, not that I'm here as your marketing consultant yeah. right now, but. If you put out, we've dropped 10 Parame stops into 10 thrift shops around the country. Go find them. And if you don't find them, pick something else that's cool and send us a picture. Can we take that out and pretend that it wasn't your idea? Because we might do that now. <laughs> I'll take 10%. Uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, those sorts of things where, where you are trying to build your creativity and mm. not just fashion, but mm. all the ways that you do this mm. through mm. values mm. And, and showing those values then embodying that in your outreach, embodying that in your education, embodying that in that mm. in your trying to, I don't want to say change behavior, but effectively change behavior that mm. don't go to Glassons, go to the thrift shop. Don't mm. go to Glassons, get something from grandma or something mm. like your granddad, mm. something like that. Those sorts of things can be done through the Paramay brand as well. And then that kind of all flows together. Mm. For you. So mm. um, final question. I used to ask people what's breaking your heart right now, but that got real dark real quick. Uh, and it was really good because it helped us to focus on... I think we've just seen what's breaking our heart. It sounds like <laughs> it. And it's like, you know, it helped us to focus on well, what are the real challenges that we should focus on as, a, as individuals and as a society. But I guess from my perspective, what I like to ask now is what are you hopeful? For, for the future you know what 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 is giving you hope right now is there stuff that makes you go yep yeah, I'm, I'm excited about seeing this happen um i think we've got a whole um podcast without talking about covid <laughs> but i think this time that we've all had as as a nation as a collective as a humanity has been a time to hopefully reflect in one way or another <laughs> and i think um it's just given people time to sit back and think about hopefully overconsumption yeah. and where they're spending their time where they're spending their money where they're um wanting to go forward with their journeys in this lifetime and i think hopefully this has changed 
um, the mindset of the collective and really given us a chance to evaluate these things and be more open to learning mm. and be more open to um, new possibilities and new ways of thinking. So I'm hoping this is a time where we can really just dive in mm. there now and, and and share that hope and, and share that education and that people might be more open to listening and, and trying new ways. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I know I'm trying. <laughs> So um, <laughs> everyone else should try. Well, you're doing darn well, I see. You're not just trying. Yeah. <laughs> I am yeah. hopeful. I am hopeful that influence, like the the um, the trend of influencers doing giant hauls on YouTube and on their like, Instagram <laughs> will just like yes. die in 2022. Because yeah. that's fast fashion hauls yeah. go to, can go to bed. I don't know if you've ever... No, I, I need you to explain this. Just Google. Time. So basically what um, is cool in influencer culture for whatever reason is to spend like literally, and this is, ex- when you talk about privilege and mm. fast fashion, like this is... This is how it picks out. Mm-hmm. Spend a thousand dollars on um, like H and M or Zara or like well-known fast fashion retailers and just buy hordes of stuff and mm. then film videos of them trying it all on. Sure. And and goodness knows how much of that is kept or sent back or ends up just in the trash. So yeah. um, that is sort of the height of privilege and fashion. Katie's I think shut like, that down. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of like yeah. But even, even if we take it one step further and, and influencer behavior in general, mm. like, let me go give this homeless person a thousand dollars and change his or her life. Yeah. But let's make sure that I've got them well mic'd up and a video <laughs> so that I can get their reaction properly. Yeah. And, then, and, and then, and the problem is though, those videos go viral. Yeah. And that's what annoys me more mm-hmm. is that as much as we might rail against this, mm. it works. Yeah. And that's more about us as a society and us as mm. a, a, a mm. wider consumer-driven society who, mm. are, whether we're desperate for good news stories or we're mm. desperate to ogle people with all this stuff and then value them more because mm. they've got $1,000 worth of Zara yeah. or something. It, it's, it's hard. Mm. That's mm. something that we always, well, for me personally, my concepts are always driven by society and mm. how I think that we could be better mm-hmm. as, as um, a collective. And I think that a lot of the time it just makes me so upset and so angry to see this kind of carry on going on and then young people being driven by mm. social media. I think social media is a, an awesome platform to connect and to market and to do all these amazing things around the world. But I think if you get into the wrong areas of it it's it's so damaging mm-hmm. and i think that we put too much time and energy into social media and and it draws us away from what's really important yeah mm-hmm. i think that's something that we really want to mm-hmm. work on and create within mm-hmm. our within our platform yeah I'm, I'm a terrible dad this way like i said i've got teenage daughters and they get a lot of aggro from dad for like Okay, this is a dangerous place you're playing in now. You know, dad knows too much about this. You got it, and they're like, "Oh, everybody's doing it yet. That's why you're going to get in trouble." Anyway, yeah, um, it's a it's a hard one. I think we were like the last generation that grew up without iPads, yeah, or cell phones. Like I was playing outside. I think I was one of the last kind of we were like the last age groups that played outside. <laughs> I rode a bike, you know. That's what I did in my youth. And now you've got these kids that are growing up with their phones like glued to their faces. And to oh, be fair, it, it was the West Coast. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. there wasn't much technology. Don't out. put that place down. It was a great place to grow up. <laughs> it's a lovely place. It's an amazing I love place. It. Is there anything else that I guess you want to add, Perrin, uh, as we close? Um. Well. Yes, but do you have any other marketing questions? I feel like we haven't really answered your marketing 
to be. I honest. mean, we're quite not really marketing driven, are we? We're more creative. But. And that's and that's the whole point. In yeah. that, marketing is less about advertising, promotion, and more about understanding products, mm. people. If you can understand what drives people, what motivates people, then actually mm. the solutions are pretty easy. Mm. Communicating it is pretty easy because mm. you can tap into that psyche. So you've mm, talked yeah. all the way through on that. Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, from my perspective, trying to set yourself apart in a what from an outsider's unintelligent perspective is quite a saturated market and a difficult mm. market. It's fascinating to hear your process, fascinating mm. to hear your philosophy yeah. behind it. And I think that values-driven approach to what you do is... Yeah. risky but also <laughs> big big risk big payoff yeah yeah i think just to conclude that as well and like we kind of answered at the start but not ever being driven by a market mm. and having the market come to you i think is probably the approach that we've like just subconsciously taken mm. Mm. and i think that's probably from me not knowing much about marketing before i dived into this artistic creative product situation and, and I, I feel, you know i feel there's something i need to say is that <laughs> it's still good to know marketing before you start you can't just pick it up as you go and be successful though, yeah right? please still come to class yeah <laughs> sorry don't do marketing and change your career <laughs> you'll figure it out along the way no just kidding but that's the approach that we've taken which is yeah. probably quite different Absolutely. to what your um, teaching, but it is so important. But no, it's uh, and it's not that much different in that there's so many people who think there is one way to do things, and it's really not. The fact that you have based yourself on intuition, and that intuition is built on a lifetime of experience, and that experience is built on values and things that matter. If more brands, more companies did that, we would see more change as a result, mm-hmm. as opposed to what the traditional model is. Let's see what that problem that person needs, what problem they have, and let me exploit. Mm-hmm them and their money to make them think that that problem is bigger than it is. Mm. This is why we have whitening cream in Asian countries. Mm. This is why we have weight loss stuff mm. when people are not overweight. This is, mm. I, I feel I should add this in. It's, it's close to the new year and all my Facebook and, and Google ads have been weight loss. <laughs> and, and, and the next God. one, weight loss and manscaping. So huh. hairy overweight probably. dude yeah. is, is kind of what Google thinks I am right now. And it's kind of like, I'm conscious about this, but someone who's not being bombarded with this is not great for them, but it does work as well. Mm. Otherwise it wouldn't exist. Very true. Very true. Yeah. I would say take some time off your phone, go and enjoy what's important. And you say ride a bike. What is this? Let's talk (laughs) now. Go to the West coast and, um, take yourself away from social media and then you'll find what's important to you. I think that's a perfect place to end. So I really appreciate your time, both Katie and Pera. Really appreciate you talking to me. And hopefully this has been useful for you to articulate some of what's been in your head and your Mm. heart for the last few years. Mm. Mm. Really appreciate it. Talk to you next time.